You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Good morning. We welcome you here. We're glad that you're with us today. I'm Pastor Dan. I'm the pastor of this church here at Living Hope Church, and we're glad that you decided to join us today. We're in the middle of our summer sermon series. Um, what I was doing some weeks ago is I took some of our uh, congregation members through a nine-week class in which I was teaching them different uh, methods of preaching and preparation um, and how to deliver the messages. And so part of their final exam, so to speak, even though they're not graded on it, is to do uh, an actual sermon before the congregation. And so uh, we've had different people share over the last few weeks. And so this week, to share a message with you about perseverance is one of our deacons, Gary Rudeckis. So we welcome Gary as he comes to share the word. Good morning, everybody. All right. What my iPad. Okay, the title of my sermon this morning is Perseverance. And um, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, that would be a good thing to do. It says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Okay? Sometimes life can be tiresome, when, especially when you're going for a goal, you know. Um, there can be challenge after challenge after challenge. And watching, through, watching people go through that stuff, it brings out the best and the worst in people. However, God never said life was going to be easy, but he did give us the victory, Okay. You're going to send, I, I, I don't know, sometimes I think, and I, I don't have any scripture to base this on or anything, but just my own thought, I think that sometimes God left some hard things for us to go through because it builds character. And we're not going to be a bunch of wimps when we get to heaven. Um, in John 16, 33, Jesus himself, the Son of God, he said this, these things have I spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Who is our Lord and Savior? This Jesus, this Son of God, this overcomer that's overcome the entire world. And because of that, you and I, we can be overcomers too because he paid the price for it. Now, how can you be of good cheer when you're in the middle of tribulation? You're going through stuff, and it's like, what? Why did this happen to me? You know, I'm just trying to do my best. I'm trying to go and do what I'm supposed to do. How can you be of good cheer when stuff comes against you? Okay? It ends up, the way you do it, it ends up being based on your focus. What are you focusing on? 
If you focus on the junk you're going through, you're going to be downcast. But if you focus on the Word of God that gives you the victory over it, that's a whole different story. Have you been dealing with sickness of some kind or some other challenge? We can tell what your focus is because of what comes out your mouth. You know, people, they go to the doctor, and I thank God for doctors. They saved my sorry self a few times. But the thing is, they are not God, and they do not have the last word in what's going to happen. And some people treat, they think more of what a doctor would say than of what our Father in heaven would say, the King of the universe. (laughs) And he has the last word. Matthew 12, 34 says, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? Now he's speaking to the Pharisees right there. He just cast out a devil and they were weighing in on it. Tell everybody what they thought as if it made a whit of difference. So he laid out a principle. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whether you're a good or evil person, still what is in your heart in abundance will come out your mouth. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says, a good man, out of the treasure, good treasure of his heart, brings forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure in his heart, brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, we focus on the word, so that is what comes out our mouth. When I was first following the Lord, I mean, I've been born again since I was eight years old. Thank God for the Catholics, because that's where I got born again, in a Catholic church, about 8 o'clock at night in the middle of March 19... (laughs) A long time ago. long time ago. But, you know, when I was first born again, I, I mean, I was born in there, but I didn't really know much. I went through catechism the whole time and everything. I was born and raised Catholic. When I was 20 uh, or 19, I kind of fell away from there because it just wasn't meeting what need that I had in my heart. And the Lord put me into a Christian church. Very first sermon I heard was about tithing. And I said, and, and, and they t- preached it in such a way. I said, wow, this is great. I said, Lord, would you take 15%? I'm going to give you 10% because you command it. And I want to do a little extra because I want to give you something extra because I love God. And what happened was he turned me on to some preachers that made cassette tapes. And I used to work all day. I mean, I, I worked like a slave. I worked for myself, by myself. I didn't like other people around bugging me because all day long I'm working, I'm creating something, building something. And listening to these tapes, and if people came around, the homeowner would come home and then start asking me questions. I'd be like, you know, take the earphones off. I used, to, I used to have a nail apron with two sets of different nails in the front, and then in the back, 
I had another nail apron where I had my cassette recorder. And I ran the wire up through my shirt, and I had a pair of earphones on, or headphones, you know. And I'd be all day long, the same tape, over and over and over again. And I'm sitting, I'm, I'm listening to that thing, and I'm, I'm getting revelation on it, you know. All, all of a sudden, in my heart, it was like, it was like, have you ever been in a dark room, and you turn the light on, and all of a sudden you could see? And that's what it was like going on in here. All of a sudden, I was seeing through some of the things that I was going through and understanding why and stuff. When I grew up, I grew up in an era where it was like, here, I'm going to lord it over you, you know? And all the other kids were the same way, and we're always putting each other down and stuff. And I learned, I was sitting there, I, I got my first Bible. I bought a living Bible. And if you're new to the faith, a living Bible is a good way to start because it's easy to read. And I'm going down the street. I would pull over into the school parking lot. It's summertime, no kids around. And uh, I went to school there as a kid. I'd pull over and pull around the back where it was quiet, nobody around, and I'd read my Bible. And there's times I'd sit there and I'd be reading Proverbs. I loved Proverbs. And it says, a soft answer turns away wrath. I said, ha, you're kidding, really? <laughs> and then they go, it, all these things, and it explained to me how to get along with people. And all of a sudden, my relationships with people started improving. And by the time I met that little girl over there, I had improved dramatically. <laughs> and she was actually able to be around me for more than an hour. <laughs> So at the end of the day, it's really important to have Scripture to stand on. In Philippians 4.13, says this. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not on our own. We don't need to do it on our own because we have him. And we can do it through him. And we can succeed when other people would fail. This past June 25th, my son-in-law, Al, and myself, and Ben and Rosie. Now, Ben is Al's buddy, and Rosie is his wife, is Ben's wife. And um, we all decided, well, actually, yeah, we decided to climb Mount Washington, June 25th. I don't know if you're a senior now, but it's 6,000 feet up. And it's not like you're climbing up, you know, a cliff or anything. We're just, we're walking up trails. But the trails were all like this, you know, rock after rock after rock. I'm like, oh. So anyway, we go, we went over to, um, to Mount Washington. We started at the end of the, where the depot for the Cog Railway is. They have this railroad train that goes up there and picks up passengers, takes them down and brings more up and, and goes up to the top where people don't want to walk it. And, um. We walk into the train station. This guy looks at me, the guy that uh, is running the train station. And he looks at me, and he goes, you know, there's a river you're going to have to cross. He said, the bridge washed away. And I looked him right in the eye. I said, you know, if we can't figure out how to cross a river, we got no business climbing this mountain. You know, oh. You know, and he was looking at me like he didn't think I was going to make it. 
And the, the funny thing was, when we came back down in the train, he was standing there. It was the last train of the day, and he's standing there looking at the platform, see who made it, you know? <laughs> see if he needed to send up an ambulance or something. I don't know. Um, but what happened was we, we, were, we were climbing this thing, and it's not like you're on the side of a mountain climb. I mean, you are, but it don't look that way because you got a path that's probably about that wide with just tree after tree after tree. I mean, you can look into the woods. You can see in the woods, but um, then you got this path. It's like a big corridor, like an endless pile of rocks. Dan, can you show the picture? There you go. And, and I'm looking up there, and all I see is there's trees over us, so you can't see the sky. I can see blue off through this this tunnel that we're in, and I, all I'm looking at, I'm seeing these rocks and rock after rock. And they, they went and they snapped a picture of me right in the middle of it. And I said, that's what I felt like. Did you ever feel that way? It's like you're going through something. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> that's how I felt. And um, I tell you, something happened. I have a buddy from back in high school. We've known each other for 50 years. And he's, he's my best old friend. I don't keep in touch with anybody other than him from my old days. And me and him and his wife and, and my wife sometimes will do things together and stuff. And his, his name's Eddie. And, um, and it's always good to hear his voice, you know. Well, he has a, a daughter named Stephanie, and she got married in, um, in the beginning of February down in Florida. So Jean and I went. And her and Brandon are standing up there getting married, and, and, and she said something that really, it touched me. And I thought, you know, that's, that's a God thing right there. And her and Brandon had been off on this hike, and... Uh, she was getting kind of discouraged and tired and stuff, and, and she started talking to him about it, and he said, honey, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Do the math. There's only so many steps to the top of Mount Washington, and if you keep putting one foot in front of the other, that number is decreasing, and eventually you get there. And I told them later, I said, God's going to use that in your life because there, there is a strength in that kind of thinking that you don't find in a lot of people. A lot of people just, you know, they'll, bam, they'll lay down and that's all, it's done. It's over. But you know, when you keep putting one foot in front of the other, eventually you get to where you're going. That's my son-in-law and I. We're standing, when, when we came out of the woods, we got up to that place there, which is up at the top of one hill, but then after that, you had to go down another hill and then up to the main place. And can you show that picture, Dan? That, and so, yeah, there it is. That's the main building that's up, up uh, at the top of Mount Washington. They have a restaurant in there with pizza and Coca-Cola. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get there. I got there, and they had just closed. I said, no! Because last time we climbed, it was eight years ago, and I went and had pizza and Coca-Cola, and I was, like, reinvigorated. But this time, all I could get was a Coke, and that was it, no pizza. So...
Anyway, um, just putting one foot in front of the other. And that, in a nutshell, is the walk of faith. When you can't see your goal, I couldn't see that, what you're seeing in this picture. I couldn't see that when I was in the woods, but I knew it was there. I've been there, but I I, I knew it was there. And there's sometimes when you're going through life and you're going through a goal, you can't see it with your eyes, but you know it's out there. And you just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other and just keep pressing, you know? Victory, victory. There's nothing like it, nothing. When I was a kid, I was eight years old, and it was time in the Catholic Church, it was time for us to receive First Holy Communion. And so I brought the forms home to my mom, and she said, you can't. You tell me I can't. She says, you have not been baptized. In the Catholic Church, they baptize the kids when they're, you know, newborn. She said, you've never been baptized. Of course, I wouldn't know that because I don't remember back when I was a newborn. And I said, well, I was scared because I had been in catechism and they told us, they said, that believe and be baptized and you'll be saved. And they told us that. And I said, I've never been baptized. I could go to hell. This was my thought as an eight-year-old kid. I remember sitting on the side fence of my parents' house. They had a split rail fence, and I was sitting on a top rail, just kind of, you know, had my chin in my hand. I'm thinking about it. I go, I'm thinking about the Lord's Prayer when he said, when the Lord Jesus, he said, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And I thought, my interpretation of that at that time was, Gary, you'll be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thought, I'm going to hell. <laughs> I want to be sa- I want to be baptized. And I wanted to be a part of God's family so bad. So then my parents took us down. They took me, my little sister, and my little brother down one night, and just before I was supposed to receive Holy Communion, and we got baptized. I will never forget. It felt I, I stopped having nightmares, and it felt like the weight of the world was off my shoulders. And we walked. Now, in this church here, there was the altar up here, and in the left side, there was a baptismal area. And when we finished, we walked down the, the, the side corridor and took a left. Now, in the Catholic Church, one of the things I respect about them is that they have a lot, a lot of respect for God. And they walk, I walk, when you walk, and like if, if, there was, if this was the altar area here and you're walking by it, you stop and you genuflect. You take a knee, okay, uh, and, and, and just show your respect for him. And I, I'm walking out there, and I stopped. I took a knee, and my mother looked at me. She goes, Gary, you look like a new man. And I said, hmm. I didn't realize it, but I was a new man right then and there from what I had been. And, um, but God was always with me after that. I mean, I... He was always there and always teaching me as I was going. You know, when I was 10 years old, I got my first 
paper route. New Britain Herald. I had 30, uh, I think it was 32 customers. And God allowed me to get that because I needed to learn discipline. I needed to learn how to handle money. Uh, and I needed to, I needed to learn how to, how to be responsible. He gave me a paper route. So, actually, I paid some kid for it, but, <laughs> but God gave that to me. And uh, so, I, I was out delivering papers, and I'll never forget this one time. Uh, I just finished delivering. My, my friend, his father owned the funeral home in town, and I just delivered there. And I took a left and was going down Walsh Avenue in Newington. And I was tired. I don't know why. But I was just about falling asleep riding my bike down the road. It's so different than today. <laughs> but, but this particular time, I, I pulled, I had this Schwinn bicycle. It was a Play Bike 88, gold with these butterfly handlebars. I put my, my uh, elbows on it. I put my head down uh, for a second. And I was off the side of the road because I, I was riding so slow I couldn't pedal and I almost fell over, so I just stopped. And I sat there and thought for a minute. I said, you know what? If I lay down here on the side of the road and go to sleep, I'm never going to get this route done. I got to get this thing done so I can go home and eat, because I, I did like and do like doing that. And um, I said to myself, you son of a gun, you get up. Now, oh, my spirit man, God taught me how to do this. My spirit, man, you, are, you and I are three-part beings. We are made in the image and likeness of God. God is a three-part being. He's the Father, He's the Son, and He's the Holy Ghost. We are three-part beings. We are a spirit. If, if God was to remove my spirit from my body and stand it next to me, it would look just like me. It would be better looking because it wouldn't have had to deal with the ravages of the world, but it's it would look just like me. I'd be standing here side by side. You, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference very much. We have a spirit. That's us. That's the real you. That's the part that's going to live forever. You have a soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions. And all of that lives in the body that we all see. Okay, so you're a three-part being. And my spirit came to the ascendancy that day. And I said, that does it, you sucker. You, you get on that bike. And I'm talking, I'm a 12-year-old kid. Nobody told me to do this, I, except him. I said, you get on that bike, you ride, you put out effort, you go, you go. And I started saying, that's it. I started pedaling. And I didn't want to pedal. I, anything I was going to do, I wanted to go lay down somewhere. But I said, no, I'm going to pedal. I'm going to get this done. Go, 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 go. Within about a minute, I had energy coming out my fingertips. I was flying. I flew through that route, went home. I didn't even, you know, I ate dinner and I was ready to go for more. Why? Because my spirit took control over my body and I told myself what to do. If I hadn't done that, I'd have been laying on the side of the road, road sleeping. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. Now look it. There's sometimes. When you're facing, what, what do you do when you're, when you're, when what you are facing has you on the ropes in the ring of life? What do 
you going to do about it? Are you going to lay down and roll over and, and whine? Are you going to get up and kick yourself in the butt and get going? You know? That's what you have to do. You can't... You, you, that's it. When we face, in life that look, face things in life that look huge to us, we should follow the example set by King David. Number one, don't run from the challenge. Don't run from the challenge. It's easy to run away and hide. Oh, this big thing's coming at me. Don't run from the challenge. Number two, prepare the weapons of your warfare. That's in Ephesians 6. It says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Make sure your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Take the sword of the Spirit. Make sure your loins are girt about with truth. Most importantly, take the shield of faith, wherewith you can quench every fiery dart of the wicked. Okay? Speak the word of God over your situation. Fill up your heart with the word of God. There's a lot of people, Christians included, that don't ever open a Bible and read it. It's like, come on, people. This is the words of life. You've got to understand that the word of God, the, the words that you're reading there, they have the power built into themselves to cause themselves to come to pass. Okay? So speak those words and those words will fall on your stuff that you're doing. David was a covenant man. You need to be, and I need to be a covenant man. Okay? Destroy the devil that you, can, you can't see and win in life where you can see. Victory always takes place in the spirit first. Now, if you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to start at verse 9. Now, Goliath, this is the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a liar. He lied to David, hoping that through a little maneuvering, he could get Israel to, to surrender. They would just waltz in and take the country over, and it would be his. And it, and it wouldn't cost them anything. No men, no nothing. And Goliath, he's huge. He's over nine feet tall. And what did he say in, in 17.9? He said, if I win, you serve us. Okay, there's no need, to, no need for all you people to die. And if you win and, and destroy me, we will serve you. Now that was a lie. Because when David won, the Philistines all ran instead of serving him. Now, if the Philistines had kept their word and got on their knee and said, we'll serve you, we'll serve your God, the outcome for those Philistines would have been a whole lot different than what it was. But they were liars. Now, David knew his covenant with God, and he believed it. But the guys he was with apparently did not believe it and may not even have known much about it. You can tell because they had fear and David didn't. In verse 33, Saul said to David, you are not able to go up against this Philistine and fight with him, for you are but a youth. And this man, he is a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, your servant kept his father's sheep. 
There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. When I went after him and smote him and delivered, and oh, excuse me, and I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. When he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. Your servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. What is him being uncircumcised? I mean, that's kind of personal. What does that have to do with, with, with... Why did David bring that up? It's because circumcision was the sign of the covenant. He knew he was in covenant with God. And Goliath was not. And so he said, circumcision. He said, he's uncircumcised. I'll take him. I'll take him and beat him. His brothers were no help. They tried to put him down. And you can tell that because they did that, you, that they did that before. It was kind of the way they did around their house. Because Isaiah 17, 29, David said, what have I done now? <laughs> you know? It was kind of like, this has all happened before, you know? They're putting them down. And, and he, didn't, he didn't say the Philistines defied us, but they have defied the armies of the living God. You know, there's a big difference. They, Israel, represented God. We have the call of God in your life, and Satan or some enemy stock, stock, seeks to stop you. They are messing with the God that called you. When you're believing God for healing and the devil is trying to keep you sick, stand on the word. Stand on the word. Stand on the word. Stand on the word. And having done all to stand, stand on the word. Stand on the word. Don't get off the word. Don't start quoting what the doctor said. Quote what God said. God is the king. God is the boss. He's the one. He's the one. They're messing with the God that called you. And the devil, when you do that, the devil will be messing with God. Goliath, Isaiah 17, 43, Goliath cursed David by his gods. Big mistake. Because he was messing, his puny little gods were messing with the living God, the creator of all things. David not only leveled the playing field, but gave himself a major advantage when he said, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Then he prophesied what would happen. And he said, this day will the Lord deliver you into my hand, and I'll smite you, and I'll take your head from you, and I'll give your carcasses to the host of the Philistine of the host of the Philistines this day to the fowl of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now you don't have to go outside and go hollering this all over the place. You do this in your prayer closet. <laughs> and if you need to, you can do it outside, but and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with a sword and a spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he'll give you into our hands. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose and came nigh to, to meet David, that David hasted and ran towards the army 
to meet the Philistine. He didn't run away. This kid ran towards him. Okay? And David put his hand in his bag and took from thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed against the Philistine with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine. He stood upon, this guy must have been just like a block of wood. He stood on him and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath therewith and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Victory! There's nothing like it. And Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I speak in respect to want, for I have learned that whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. How can you be content in whatsoever state you're in? It's simple, because you know this world is temporary. It's temporary. I mean, it's kind of crazy because all the guys like I used to watch on TV and stuff, a good amount of them are dead. <laughs> you know? And it just brings back to my thought life the fact that this world is so temporary. They were really, they were at the top of their game at the, at the time and now they're in, a, they're in a box somewhere their body is. You know? And, and it's like, it, it happens quick. You know? And so you keep, that, you keep that in mind and keep in mind that God, only God, he's got, the, he's got the key. He's got my future tied up in his hands. That's how you stay content because you know God has it because you know you're doing your part. He says, for I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and hungry, both to abound and suffer need. In verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you can too. God is no respecter of persons. says that in the book of Acts. So whatever these apostles could do and get through things, you can do too. He'll bless you with that. He just put him first place. How do you stay content when you're in a different state, you know, no matter where you are. Focus your mind on the Word of God. What does the Word say? And just know that eventually it'll come to pass. You know, I remember when we were, boy, when we were young, Gene and I, when we, we got married young. I mean, I wasn't ready to get married. At least I didn't think I was. But I said, you know what? I like her too much to let her go. <laughs> so... We got married, but you know what? I mean, we didn't have much. I mean, we, I was tithing at the time and giving offerings, and what happened was we were kind of scraping by, but we always had enough. And I always held God, God's word in front of me and said, you know what? It says here, give, and it'll be given to you. God will take care of us. You know? And he did. He did. He is faithful. He is faithful. Keep your eyes on the Lord and on your goal. Because if you achieve your goal, but then use your, lose your relationship with God, the goal is worthless. It's not worth anything if it costs you relationship with God. No goal is worth being away from the Father. Okay? So primarily, the first thing is keep your eye on God. 
and then your eye on your goal. Encouragement. Have some encouragement. Hey, take a scripture. Put a scripture up. You know, and read it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. In Romans chapter 8, and verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's love? Anything. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Nobody can lay anything to our charge because God, it's him who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You you think about the kindness of our Lord. He went to the cross. He went to the whipping post first. He took stripes on his back. And when they whipped him, it says, with his stripes you're healed. It made stripes on his back because the thing they whipped him with was called the cat of nine tails. And what it had was it had pieces of bone and glass and sharp things in this long lash. And when the guy whipped him, and he, it, it would sink into his skin and he'd pull it back and it would rip skin off. And he gave him, what was it, 39 stripes? 39 times he hit him. You know, and that because Satan had absolutely no right. Jesus had never sinned. He was pure. The, the deceiver, the, 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 the Satan, he could not legally touch Jesus. But because he went and he touched the man who had never sinned, who he had no right to touch, because of that, you, who he had a right to touch, are healed. You can be healed because of that. So Jesus went, he paid that price. He took those stripes on his back and then he went to the cross. <coughs> they drove nails through his hands and feet and left him up there to die. And he gave his life for you. And even after giving his life for you, he still makes intercession for you and for me. I mean, this is the God of love. He loves us. He created us. He loves us and will not lose us to something else. Who shall separate us? There's a question comes here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing can separate you and I from the love of Christ. You just got to develop an eternal mindset. So much of this stuff of, 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 of victory is right up here here. Whether you're going to make it or whether you're going to lay down and roll over and play dead. Tribulation, it can't separate us. No. He'll always be there. And verse 37 says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors, well able to perform those things which he has assigned for us. We are more than conquerors. And he says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. He's too big. He's too strong. He's too righteous. After World War II, 
Winston Churchill was asked to speak at a college at uh, their uh, commencement uh, exercises or their graduation, whatever you call it. And everybody wanted to see, got to see Winnie, got to see Winnie because he led this nation to victory. Well, he walked in there, walked up to the podium, and he said, they were waiting for this big, long speech, and he looked them, looked around the thing, looked at everybody, and he said, never give up. And he looked around the room, and looked around the room, and caught everybody's eye. And he said, never give up. And he looked around the room. He looked around the room some more. And then he said it a third time. Never give up. He picked up his duds and he made a beeline for the entrance (laughs) or the exit. And, you know, they were expecting a big, long speech. But what they got was never give up. But, you know, that speech has probably, I would guess, been quoted more than any other speech around. Because it's easy to quote. <laughs> you don't have to have a lot of brain bars and never give up, at least for me. <laughs> no, you don't have to. You know, you just, it's never give up. But you know what? That speech, even though it's simple, it is so profound. Never, never give up. If you don't give up, and then if on top of that, you keep putting one foot in front of the other. You're going to get to your goal. You're going to get what you're looking for. So the challenge, I'm going to challenge you with something. Is there something that God has put on your heart to do? Is there something that you just, and maybe you don't even realize God put it on your heart. Is there something that you've just always wanted to do? Are you facing, or are you facing some sickness? And it seems like, God, is there ever a way out of this? Is there a goal somewhere that you need to achieve? Maybe you say, oh, brother, I don't know what to do. I pray about what to do with my life, and I don't get an answer. Hey, I'll tell you what, I've been there and I've done that. But what comes back to me all the time is what is in your hand. What do you have that you can make big and give glory to God with? You know, what do you have that you can succeed with? Maybe, you know, maybe you're not called to go and and do some enormous thing over there. Maybe the enormous thing you're meant to do is already in your hand and you just need to put some time into it. Or maybe you need to put something in your hand. You know? What brings you joy and peace? I tell you, for a long time, I wrestled with the idea of being a pastor. The more I got into the Word, the more I wanted to preach it, and I wrestled with it a lot. And about a year and a half ago, Pastor was reading a book with us, with the board members. And I'll never forget, right in the middle of reading that book, I was, one night I was getting into bed, and I was praying, and I said, Lord, and I put my left knee up on the bed to get to slide in, and, and I heard, Lord, 
with the shape that this world is in, is there something I can do? And I hear the words, start a church. But when I heard them, there was this sense in here of doom and destruction. And I'm like, I'm hearing up here, start a church. And I know down here, I'm hearing, oh, and I never said anything. Three o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I heard, well, are you going to do it? And again, and I said, I prayed, I said, Lord God Almighty, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it and I will love it. The next week we're reading and it talks about that very thing. And it talks about how the witness of the Holy Spirit in here, not up here, in here, will let you know what to do. And when you get a witness like that, that's not what you're supposed to do. It's a good thing to start a church. It's a great thing. But if you're not supposed to do it, then don't do it. And if you're looking to do something and you're getting that sense in here, then don't do it. <laughs> not a good idea, you know. But if you have a sense of joy and of peace, then, hey, move forward with it, you know. And Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for if we, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, if there's something that you need prayer for, you can come up and we'll pray for you, but i just like to pray for you all as a congregation. And um, you can never have enough prayer. <laughs> Father, I lift up everybody that's here today. And, and Lord, help them. Help them to... to to be right on with you, be going in the same direction you're going. Teach and guide them, Father. Help them to, to see what to do, what not to do, Lord. And give them the strength to get things done. Satan, you'll keep your hands off these people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is written, at the name of Jesus, every knee bows. And every tongue confess he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Bow your filthy knee and keep your hands off these people. And in the name of Jesus, Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in our lives and what you are about to do. That's it. God bless you all. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you, and may he give you his peace. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.